Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me in the garage is a man that when he discovered Gronk is having back surgery, he immediately emailed Bill Belichick and began stretching, followed by some deep knee bends. He is, of course, the captain. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen and it's good to see you. Get well soon, Gronk. We were in the garage drinking yesterday, and we're back at it again today. Today, we are drinking Vanilla Porter by Breckenridge Brewing in Littleton, Colorado. Garage grade three and three-quarter bottle caps out of five. This porter has all of the chocolate and roasted nut flavor that you are looking for with a hint of vanilla. I actually thought that they could have gone with a little more vanilla, but that's just me. Breckenridge Vanilla Porter is brought to us by these supreme garage attendees like Amy. Amy recommends trying a Maryland brewed beer. Next, we have Stratopia from Marsh Gibbon, UK. We also have Richie in Vancouver, Washington. That's kind of related to this case, right? Mm -hmm. Richie says, try anything from Bridgeport Brewing in Portland, but he especially likes their Kingpin Double Red Ale. We also have Michelle in Toronto. Michelle really digs the show, and she says that we should never deviate from our format. She loves the timeline mixed with the captain's color commentary, and she <laughs> says, screw grammar, right? Well, well, yeah. I get what you're saying, but the bad grammar, it's not really a planned portion of the format. It's just us being dudes. I mean, of course, we don't it's have not, stellar well, no, grammar. There, there are smart dudes out there. That have nice grammar. We're just we're not smart enough to know that we have bad grammar. That's right. And I'm not the type to just uh, to just stop the show to correct one word. You know, sometimes I have a typo in my notes, or I've just misspelled something terribly, mm-hmm. and so I just plow on through and maybe create a whole new word in the process. Well, and I tend to just drink so much that I don't even know what I'm saying. Okay. We also have Veronica in High Point, North Carolina. Veronica says she loves the show. She loves the captain, and says Nick. You are okay. Well, thank you, Veronica. I think you are okay as well. And Veronica, not- you're better than okay. 
Last but not least, we have Shannon from Parts Unknown. I love Parts Unknown. I'm planning a trip there in 17. <laughs> Shannon says we can enjoy a beer on her. So awesome. Thank you all. Thank you, Amy, Stratopia, Richie, Michelle, Veronica, and Shannon for bringing the bucket of beers to the garage for this week's show. And if you want to buy us around for next week's show, go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the donate button. Also, if you want to follow us on social media, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff, at True Crime Garage. And now Nick is on Untapped, which if you want to follow his beer selections and his beer drinking habits, check him out on Untapped. A big shout out to DK underscore FXN and John WHH on Instagram. They sent me some interesting information and it and it adds to the show. Whether you write to us on social media or the website, we try to take a look at all the cases that people are presenting and uh, we definitely appreciate it. So thank you and much love. Are you going to say your catchphrase? We like your GM. That's right. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. And let's talk some true crime. This is True Crime Garage. And this is the case of the Chi Omega killings. Brighton co-eds at Florida State University in Tallahassee walked a class in groups today while detectives tried to track a man who slipped into a sorority house early yesterday and murdered two women. David Dick reports. The killer struck first at the Chi Omega sorority house. Police say he simply walked in through an unlocked door. They say he was armed with a heavy oak log. He clubbed and then strangled to death 20-year-old Lisa Levy and 21-year-old Margaret Bowman. At least one of them was raped. Then he brutally beat three more sleeping co-eds, Karen Chandler and Kathy Kleiner. Cheryl Ann Thomas was severely beaten in her apartment six blocks away. Their conditions today, fair to serious. The killer came in from the night and then returned to it with an ease that has so far baffled police and left most co-eds here terrified. Blood-stained bed sheets and numerous bags of other evidence were prepared at the Tallahassee Police Department for transfer to the crime lab. Sergeant Howard Winkler was one of the first on the scene. When he hit the girls, uh, I just don't think they had a chance to, to fight back. I think he just went in and hit. I just don't think they had a chance to cry out. Captain Burl Peacock of the Criminal Investigation Division says he thinks it will be a very difficult case to solve. What kind of a person do you think is at large? Well, I'd rather say we've got a very disturbed, sick individual. A university crime prevention officer visited Florida State sororities today, urging house mothers to take stricter security measures. But many co-eds remained worried and badly frightened. I think everybody's scared all the time. I'm even just walking to classes. And today we've been keeping our doors locked during the day too, which we don't usually do. The front door of the Chi Omega house was not only locked today, a policeman stood guard on the other side. The house mother stepped out a few moments but would not talk in front of a camera. She said, they were just lovely girls. It has been a harrowing experience. David Dick, CBS News, Tallahassee. FBI agents and Florida police are questioning a man by the name of Theodore Robert 
Bundy about the killing of two Florida State University co-eds in January and attacks on three other co-eds. Bundy had escaped New Year's Eve from a Colorado jail where he was a suspect in 36 rapes and murders, mostly in the West, over a seven-year period. He was recaptured Wednesday morning, arrested in Pensacola, Florida, on a stolen car charge. But he gave the police another name, and it wasn't until last night that he was identified as Bundy. All the police are saying for now is that Bundy is cooperating and talking with investigators. The car he was driving had been reported stolen in Tallahassee, the scene of the Florida State campus problem. Leslie? President Carter leaves today on his... Pensacola, Florida police are questioning a man they say may be one of the worst sex murderers of all time. We have a report from Bruce Hall. Police arrested this 31-year-old man after a high-speed chase Wednesday morning in Pensacola, Florida. He claimed to be a Florida State University law student, but now he has been positively identified as prison escapee Theodore Bundy, a suspect in the rape-murder cases of at least 36 young women in California, Washington, Oregon, Utah, Colorado, and Michigan. He is also on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Among the first to arrive to question Bundy were these detectives from Tallahassee, Florida, where two co-eds were murdered and three others savagely beaten last month. Tallahassee officials would not talk to the press, but they did talk to the state attorney in Pensacola. I do know, though, that they told me that he was a definite suspect in their investigation. It has been learned that Bundy has been living in this Tallahassee apartment since a few days after he escaped from a Colorado prison on New Year's Eve. The apartment is less than a mile from the Chi Omega sorority house at Florida State, where the highly publicized attacks took place in mid-January. When Bundy was arrested, police said he had in his possession 21 stolen credit cards, all from co-eds at the university. This afternoon, Bundy was taken to court, where he was ordered held without bond. He will remain in Pensacola under tight security until authorities can determine if he will be charged with the Florida State University murders and what state has the strongest case against him. Bruce Hall, CBS News, Mobile. Let's see where we left off here, Captain. Last we spoke, we were talking about Ted Bundy, and last time we saw him, he was locked up in a Utah jail, and he was being charged with the abduction uh, and the attack that he did on Carol Durant. This mm -hmm. was the woman that he pretend to, pretended to be a police officer, told her that her car was broken into at the shopping mall, and he needed her to go back to the police department with him so that he could take a statement and maybe she could identify uh, the person that, that supposedly broke into her car. Nobody broke into her car. This is just Bundy being Bundy with one of his uh, m multiple ruses that he would use to get somebody into his vehicle. Right. Um, and one thing we got to think about here, when we talk about these type of people, okay, but what kind of people are you? Serial talking? killers. Okay. Um, and one thing that psychopaths. One thing that goes unnoticed a lot, or or not so much uh, talked about. But one thing I was thinking about last night, in particular with Ted Bundy, is that yeah, he had his murder rape kit that he would keep in his vehicle that would travel around with him. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, we talked about those things that were found when he was arrested. These were things like an ice pick and a ski mask and gloves and. Uh, sometimes he would have a crowbar in there. I think actually all the time he had a crowbar in there. That seemed to be his kind of go-to. Um, the ice pick, I don't really, I always wondered why he had that ice pick. 
Uh, I don't know if he was going to, let's say, graduate to a different form of killing mm-hmm. because typically what he would do is hit people over the head with the crowbar so that he could gain control of them. But he didn't kill them in that manner. He, he was a strangler. Uh, he would strangle these women. Uh, usually what he would do is hit them over the head with the crowbar. He's got control of them. He would rape them. And then he would rape them again as he was killing them, as he was strangling them. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes he would even rape them again after they had, they had died. Now, uh, the thing with the ice pick is, you know, people, you see this when you talk about Ted Bundy. You, you can look up anything on Ted Bundy and, and mm-hmm. pictures, and you're going to see pictures of this ice pick. But I think the ice pick was actually something that he thought he would use to gain access to somebody's home. I think it was more of a burglar type tool that he was going to break in with the ice pick to house if he needed to. Um, well, with Dahmer, for example, like Dahmer's apartment was, they used that as, you know, uh, here's this crazy psychopath and we need to study him after the fact. And Ted Bundy's case, it seems like it's his uh, car, you know, th- that his car is the equivalent of the, the of, apartment. You're so. exactly right. And that's one thing I was trying to touch on here with, with Bundy and with multiple serial killers you see this time and time again. The vehicle is as much of a killing tool as that rape and, and murder kit. Yeah, or had the vehicle in the car. or or the apartment. Exactly. Right. It's it's another tool, and I'm sure that that uh, Dahmer outfitted his apartment in a way that would make killing easier for him or, or mm-hmm. holding them captive easier for him, just as Bundy did with his vehicle. Well, he, the- he used his vehicle as a trolling device. I mean, Bundy was driving all the time. He drove constantly. You know, yeah. we talk about he was living in Utah and he was driving all the way to Colorado to find victims. But not only was he driving all the time, he was outfitting his car. He was unscrewing the passenger seat. Why would he do that? Well, because if he had to throw a body in there, mm-hmm. it would be low. The body would be down inside and it wouldn't be visible to people that he was passing by. Yeah, or the handle, the passenger handle wasn't, there yeah, was he, no handle. So He removed the handle, so if you're trying to get away from him, you you're less likely to be able to do so. One, one of the things that I found creepiest about, you know, as far as like serial killer goes and fascination with different killers, um, Bundy wouldn't be on my top of the list. Like, you know, before we actually started diving into him, uh, one of the things that I thought was so disturbing uh, is how he would like put makeup on some of the mm-hmm. victims after they're dead. He's like revisiting their, yeah, the spot where they died and sometimes and and this is just speculation I don't think they have any proof of this other than there's now makeup on this body that shouldn't have makeup on it almost like somebody went back and redid their makeup yeah well what he was doing and, and a lot of people have speculated that Bundy was a, a necrophile well y- yes he, he had sex with dead corpses and so he was you know i'm sorry if you're listening to this he was your morning commute and we just said that bunny had sex with dead corpses but he was having sex with dead corpses i don't i he he was in every sense of the word a necrophiliac however there are some killers that their whole reason for killing is to have sex with the dead body that i don't think was the situation with ted bundy i think his his thing that he was after was the rape while committing the murder. I think that was his big thing. With the whole necrophilia thing for him, I think that that was just, it was kind of a way to slow him from killing somebody else. 
you know, he could go back and, and mentally revisit that victim and revisit his crime mentally and relive it. Right. And rather than going out and killing another person because it was easier or something easy to do. Now, the thing with you said, Bundy, you know, wouldn't have been at the top of your list, but I'm sure he's moved uh, significantly up there since we, we started looking at him. But the one thing that uh, for me, he, he has been on the top of my list forever. And, and the, the reason being is that he was so unique, especially for the time uh, and he was such a problem for the investigators. He was doing things at the time that that you might see serial killers do uh, more recently. But he knew to that that it was to his advantage to commit different crimes in different jurisdictions. He yeah. knew that the police didn't really talk to one another, and that they would have a problem linking these crimes. And I, but I think that's where uh, primarily Bundy. Um, where serial killers get this idea of when, when people are profiling a killer, they start saying, oh, above, uh, above level intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I think it's coming from Ted Bundy. Uh, look at like somebody like Ed Gein or somebody like that. You're not going to see above level intelligence. And I, and I think so, but I don't want to glorify it. I don't want to glamorize him. I mean, this guy was a complete psychopath. Uh, and, and more so, and, and that's what was fascinating to me when looking into him is just how sick of a person he was. It, it climbed on the list, not that I admire the guy in any sense of the term, but just when you think of somebody like Ed Gein, for example, oh man, this guy's horrific. This is disgusting. Bundy was above that. Head oh, yeah. and shoulders above that. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, and but the the other thing too that made him so dangerous was his modus operandi. He did not, he didn't have a specific one. Um, you know, where you'll see some killers where you know, like a long haul killer, they they their modus operandi is pretty much the same time and time again. All right. you know, I just need to pick up this uh, working girl from a truck stop, and she's in my truck, and now she's mine. She's 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 dead, mm-hmm. and where. With Bundy, he didn't have a typical way of finding his victims. He would adapt to the situation. You know, we've seen, we didn't talk about all of his crimes, but just kind of a quick overview. You know, he didn't he didn't just pick up women that he would trick into getting into his car. No, there were more than one occasion where he would break into a house and he would, he would obtain the victim there. Yeah. He would steal them from their home. And we saw one situation where the girl was living with four other people. I mean, how risky is that? He breaks into a home. He could have been seen by any of those other four people or fought off. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead he, he knocks her unconscious and he takes her with him, you know, and he, what else did he do? He would also just pick up random hitchhikers, you know, just, he would see an opportunity and he would seize the moment. Yeah. That's, that's what's kind of strange here is, you know, he's not an opportun- opportunist killer all the time. Sometimes he's he's creating that opportunity. It's 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 really fascinating. I mean, he's a and then uh, what we're going to be talking about today is you know the the, the escapes and the and the trials. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a whole nother level of of this madness that is Ted Bundy. And the other thing about his vehicle being his killing tool is think about that. We talked about the seat, the passenger seat that he would unscrew from the floorboards and and. You know, he would sometimes he would have the seat in, sometimes he would have the seat out. Well, 
that whole thing, you could kind of figure out what he's doing there because he needed to remove the seat to hide the bodies as he was transporting them, right? But Mm -hmm. at other times, he needed the seat to be there. Why? Because if I slow down to pick up a hitchhiker and I have no passenger seat, well, she's not getting in my car. Right. You know, so this is, it was definitely his vehicle. The VW Bug was definitely his number one killing tool, in my opinion, uh, as well as the crowbar. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, uh, you know, just between me and you. And and I thought it was an interesting tidbit to bring up on the show. Did he have some advantage by having a VW VW bug, was there any advantage there? You know, like um, did did women feel less uh, threatened by this? More, you know, it's more of a kind of a. I mean, it's more of a college student car, and and mm-hmm. you'll hear when when people talk about the the people that came forward and said, "Oh yeah, I was in his vehicle," and I just thought, and, and one of her lines was. Well, it's here's this, this college kid, and this is just a college car. There, there probably was some advantage, like you said, if he was driving a giant monster truck with giant tires. Uh, you know, maybe that wouldn't let these women's guard down as much. I, I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. If he had a monster truck, or if he had a white van, you know, the the typical typical yeah, or creepy like a, white van, white Bronco. Yeah, <laughs> that. I, I don't think as many women would have gotten his car, but his thing, his victims that he wanted, his victimology was attractive college age women. And, uh, you know, they see this somewhat, you know, good looking man who's well-spoken and he's driving the typical college boy car. Um, and it, he it, had better grammar than we did. I'm sure that he did. Right. Um, so where we left off was Bundy is in jail in Utah. He's being charged with the abduction of Carol Durange. And for that, he is he's pretty easily convicted because she can look right at him and go, uh, yes, judge and jury, uh, that's the guy that, that tricked me into his car and tried to kill me. Right. Um, now, he's he gets a sentence. It's a one to 15 year sentence. Uh, so, you know, with good behavior, he's going to get out in one year's time. Now, during the process of well, this. But that's just because it's a, a single attack. Yeah, they're not, not linking it to everything else. And here's where the links start to happen. There is a detective. His name is Jerry Thompson. He remembers the uh, a similar suspect that was described from um, a, a few different cases that was going on. Mm-hmm. And now remember, we had said that there were gas receipts that were found in Bundy's vehicle when he was arrested. Right. Now, these gas receipts would put him in areas uh, and at the same time of other killings that were going on. So while he's sitting there with his one year to go, uh, he is extradited to the state of Colorado because they have now linked him to one of the murders in Colorado. At the same time, the police were searching Bundy's apartment after he was arrested and he, after he was convicted. And during this time, they found other things too. They found a guide to the Colorado ski resort. Uh, this was the Wildwood Inn. Now, remember, this is where... Uh, a young woman, 23-year-old Karen Campbell, was she, she was a nurse from Michigan, but she was on vacation with her boyfriend, and she vanished from uh, the hotel there. And this is at the ski resort while on a ski trip. And so they, with, with the gas receipts and with this uh, guide to the ski resort, they're able to put Ted Bundy at that place and know that he might have had, you know, might have been the one that killed or took Karen Campbell. Uh, the other situation that's going on, too, is they found a brochure 
This was an advertisement for the the Viewmont High School play. Now, this is where uh, Debbie Kent had disappeared. This is where he was seen in the parking lot going up to different students and trying to get them in his car. So Bundy's been extradited to Colorado where he's going to be charged with the death of Karen Campbell. Now, during this situation, he he's in jail there, right? But he's also assisting in his own defense. And part of that, he th- Bundy is ever so the con man. He's always conning. He's always scheming. That's what makes him so dangerous. And he's always manipulating every situation. And he has told the judge, he said, you know what? Since I'm working on my defense, since I'm assisting in my own defense, I need to have access and be treated a little differently than you would treat your typical murder suspect, right? He's saying, you know, I can't be shackled because I need, I need to be working and I need to be studying and working on my own defense. And on, on top of that, he needs access to, uh, you know, the library right. where he can do, yeah. do research. So not only is he not shackled and arguably, arguably one of the da- most dangerous men of all time, in my opinion, he's not shackled. He's manipulated his way into the library. Now he's in the library. Well, dangerous, but mainly to women. I mean, yeah. I mean, not saying that he's above killing a man, but he, you know, his motivations to me aren't, just kill willy nilly. Mm-hmm. But he he has access to this library. This library is part of the courthouse and part of the jail. So it it's on the second floor. They hold court on the first floor and on the second floor was the library. I believe nowadays it's actually a, it's another court. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's up in the library and he's working and he's doing his studying. He's probably not really studying. He's scheming the whole time. This is Ted Bundy. Now, he uses the, you know how the standing bookshelves, they create aisles with those standing bookshelves? Yeah. Well, he used one of those to kind of uh, hide what he was doing, but they had an open window. They would leave the window open on the second floor to get, you know, cool air into the to the building. Uh, so nobody can see what he's doing, but he basically jumps out of the second story window. And this is... This is not like a eight foot drop. You know, this is a pretty, a pretty big drop. Uh, I would speculate that most people would break an ankle or a leg jumping out of that uh, window. I've seen pictures of it on the internet. It's not a jump that I would make, but he, he makes the jump and Bundy's a weird dude, man. He, he, he gets lucky. Not only is he scheming, but he gets, he gets lucky from time to time, much to, uh, much to our dismay. right? Right. But he should have broken in his ankle when he jumped out of that window. He did not. He he did severely strain, sprain his leg, um, and they would see evidence of that later. But we, somebody spots him and says, "Oh, somebody just jumped out of that window." Right. You know, and so they go in and they tell uh, they tell the 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 people in charge. You know, somebody just jumped out of your second story window, and their first thought is, "Oh, uh, who who has access to that?" The, Oh God, I hope it's not Bundy. And sure enough, it is Bundy. It doesn't get any weirder than this. I mean, truth, you know, truth is always stranger than fiction. Right. And this is like a horror flick, you know, like at the end of the movie, when there's, they're sitting in the, in the canoe and, or the, the boat out on the lake and you think everything's Mm -hmm. safe. And then Jason Voorhees just jumps out of the water all of a sudden. That's this moment. You know, we have this guy that is, he's been charged and convicted of an, a serious attack on character. Carol DeRanche in a neighboring state. Now he's in Colorado having been charged with the murder of Karen Campbell. 
and he's suspected in the death of this 17-year-old but not been charged yet, and he's just jumped out of a second-story window, and he's on the loose. I mean, it doesn't get any more terrifying than this. Well, this is more like when Mike Myers breaks out of the loony bin. You're exactly right. It's more like that part. But anyways, let's get back. We'll go back into Bundy right after this quick beer break. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership 
when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And we're back. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. So where we left off now, Ted Bundy, has he's escaped from the courthouse, right? Mm-hmm. And he's jumped out of this window, and somehow he did not break an ankle, didn't break his leg. But remember, there was that person that came in and notified them very quickly that, hey, somebody, some dude just jumped out your window. <laughs> right. Um, so what happens here is... He actually, they they set up roadblocks because they need to get this guy as quick as they can. And he sneaks past one of those roadblocks. He's on foot. But what he did was he he shed his clothes as soon as he jumped out of the window. So not only, this is where we know that he was planning to escape that day. He didn't just get lucky and happenstance. He's like, oh, the window's open. I'm going for it. Well, yeah. But like we said, he's he's. You know, not only is he a psychopathic murderer, he's a con artist as well. And whatever garb he was given to wear uh, being in jail, he underneath of that, he had regular looking clothes. So after he jumps out of the window, he sheds these uh, the the jail garb or whatever it is. And he's in regular looking clothes and he sneaks Mm -hmm. past the roadblock. Well, he heads up into the uh, Aspen Mountain. Well, now Bundy is... As clever as he is and as much as a con man and manipulator as he is, he he's you know, he can manipulate a jail system or a prison system, but he can't really manipulate the the wilderness. Right, Mother Nature. Yeah. So he he's up there and he's trying to survive as he's eluding capture. And some of the things he does while he's up there, he's breaking into cabins that have nobody in it and uh he's stealing, you know, clothes and food and uh I think he even took a rifle from one of the cabins. You know, he's looking, he's become a survival list, let's say, right? He's, mm-hmm. he's out on the run. 
Uh, he's only loose for about six days, and they end up capturing him. And he looks... You can find pictures of him on the internet from when he got back from uh, from his little uh, trip up in the Aspen Mountain. Mm-hmm. But he looks like like he aged 10 years <laughs> during that six days. So he's back in jail, and now they they will transfer him to another jail. Um, and this is supposed to be, you know, there's more security at the Garfield um, prison. Mm-hmm. Now, so they warn him. They warn the prison. They're like, okay, look, this guy, he's he didn't just, we don't think he just killed this Karen Campbell. Mm-hmm. We think he's killed all kinds of women. And if he gets out, he is going to try to escape. That's who he is. Right. We, we've seen this already. Yeah. And so he's going to try to escape. And if he gets out, he's going to kill as many women as he can. That's just in his nature. That's what he does. He's an evil guy. Mm-hmm. Now, but Ted being Ted, you know, he, he's, he talks to the guards, you know, he talks to the administrators there and he, you know, he, he has a way of talking to people and befriending people. So they kind of let their guard down. Yeah. And one of the things that you see in this video uh, some of the clips is there's a, a man walking Ted in and Ted is handcuffed and you can tell that whoever's respond. I don't know if this guy's a lawyer or if he's a police officer or whatever he is, but you can see him and Ted joking and laughing at each other while they walk into the courtroom. And, and we're also looking at this all hindsight. So you have this guy that as far as, you know, major offenses he tried to attack somebody and now we think he's responsible for this murder we don't have all this evidence we don't have all this proof we don't have all the confessions that ted gave so him being such a charming guy i bet a lot of these prison guards just thought now nah, this guy probably didn't do it mm-hmm. you know so it, you know and with him being so charming and almost so normal it, you know i could see why people would be like well, maybe he didn't do this at, at the time. Well, you got to keep in mind, too, who are we dealing with? And I don't think the authorities knew exactly who they were dealing with. Yeah, he was a law student, but he was going into law with he wanted to be a politician. And, you know, that's usually the way you come up. And he wasn't going into law necessarily to practice law. I believe he wanted mm-hmm. to be a politician. And if you follow his younger life, especially when he was at uh, – University of Washington, he's taking part in the Republican Party. You know, yeah. he's he's doing things. He's, so w- traditionally, what are politicians? They're people that are good at speaking and good at talking and communicating yeah, and with other people. Lying, you know? Yeah, and so this is who he is. I mean, and we talked about he worked at that crisis hotline. This is a right. guy that liked to talk to people. And, uh, it, and again, it lets their guard down. Well, I do have to fault this, uh, I do have to fault the people that worked at this jail because uh-huh. they were warned. Okay. Now, and think about this too. And this is the second jail on behind the eyes, but behind his, you know, he's, he's a, some people have said he's a good looking man. Maybe he's an average looking man. I don't know. But behind this regular looking dude who, who is outgoing and who is happy to speak with people and charming. communicate with them, he's yeah. charming behind those eyes. Inside, he looks like Frankenstein. You know, he looks like Frankenstein's monster. And mm. it, he, he is an absolute monster. He's one of the worst of the worst. Now, if you could see him, 
if he looked like Frankenstein's monster, they would have housed him in a much different way. And they didn't, as you said, they didn't fully know what they were dealing with, but they were warned and they let their guard down. And this is on them, you know, and actually uh-huh. the, the things that would take place later, this, I put that a lot of that on them. Now they put him in this cell. Okay. And at the, on the ceiling, there was a light fixture. Now this light fixture should have been welded to the ceiling. That, that would be the typical thing in most cells. This one was not. And actually the, uh, the jailhouse, they talked about, you know, they looked at the light fixture before they put Ted Bundy in that cell and they thought, well, eh, no, it doesn't need to be fixed. There's no way that he can get up there. And furthermore, some of the other inmates start coming to the administrators and to the warden and to the, the correction officers. And they're Mm -hmm. saying, you know, at night when we're lying in bed, we can hear somebody up in the, up in the rafters, up in the ceiling, moving around at night. Yeah. Uh, and we're pretty sure it's, it's, Mr. Theodore Bundy over there. Yeah, I mean, because it, it wasn't happening before this guy shows up. And now he's here, and we hear this wrestling at night. Well, and what he did was he was getting money, okay? Uh, again, everything going Ted's way. He was getting money because there were people back in Washington and people in Utah that were friends of his. And they thought he was innocent. There was actually not a whole lot of evidence in this, this murder trial. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's working with his attorneys. He's assisting in his own defense. And actually things are going his way in the court, you know, other than having the brochure, I'm sorry for other than having the map, uh, uh regarding the ski lodge, there's no real evidence other than the gas receipt and this, and this map to the ski lodge. Well, and this is before that he and- I mean, they had DNA, but this is, you know, I'm sure that if DNA was uh, more important back then, they probably would have some DNA in this case. Well, maybe not, because you got to keep in mind that this uh, Campbell lady, um, at, at this point, she she had vanished. You know, they, they don't know where she is. Um, All right, so no body. Correct. Right. And the way that this attack went down, you know, she is, she's a nurse. And she, her boyfriend is a doctor where she works and he's older, he's divorced and he has some children and they're on vacation together at this ski lodge. And there's a heated pool outside and, um, they were down poolside and she decided to return to the room to get a magazine or get something to read. Well, she goes up to get her book or magazine and she's never seen again. He, he snatched her somewhere between her walking from the pool up to the room. Mm-hmm. So again, not a lot of evidence and things are going his way in the courtroom. He, he, this case might have gotten thrown out. He may have gotten acquittal on right. this case because they were, what evidence they did have, he was starting to get it thrown out of the trial. And so pretty and much he wasn't circumstantial his, evidence. Right. And he wasn't the main lawyer in this case. He's just assisting. Right. But I mean, he was an intellectual guy and, and knew the system. So, I mean, I, w- I wonder how much, uh, he had influence over what was happening in the courtroom that I don't know. But, uh, he, as I said, he was getting money from his friends from Washington and from Utah to assist with his defense, you know, to, to pay for whatever it is that he needs to, to, uh, get his acquittal. He had accumulated just over $700. Yeah. And like we talked about in the previous episode, I mean, he worked, 
not only was he you know a law student but he worked um, with the Republican Party and and by having those connections he had people with power and money well and seven hundred dollars back then I don't I can't I don't know the math on it but I'm guessing it would be about over you know two thousand dollars or more than two thousand dollars today yeah which is not a bad chunk of change if you're in jail and somehow he he gets a uh, now keep in mind this is this is a jail so we have we do have a lot of nonviolent offenders that are serving time there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they have different privileges. I'm sure that they have some kind of workhouse or they're, you know, as we talked about in the, uh, Texas seven, you know, the, sometimes people work, uh, as custodians or, or repairmen inside the jail itself. Somehow Ted Bundy gets a hold of a saw. Um, so not only does he have this light fixture, that's not properly installed in his cell, he accumulates a saw. He has over $700 cash on him. Now, this is on New Year's Eve. So not only is their guard down because they might like the guy, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're probably not working as hard as they should be on New Year's Eve. And maybe less officers on duty. Well, you know, one thing that was interesting that he was doing that they figured out was with the saw, because you'd think that would create a lot of noise, right? He would wait till the other inmates were showering because that generates a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. And that's when he would d- be cutting and doing, you know, tearing things apart to create this escape route through the, the light fixture. Um, so what he does on New Year's Eve is he's got books and he's got his files for his trial in his cell with him so he can be working on these things when he needs to. Mm-hmm. He puts those, he kind of piles them up in his bed and puts the covers over top of it to look like somebody's sleeping in the bed. Right, right. Climbs up into the light fixture, into the the ceiling, and now he's running around in the ceiling, and he drops down into. They had like a uh, an apartment that was attached to the building, and this is where one of the higher level uh, uh, employees would live, and they happen to be out on a date because it's uh, it's New Year's, New Year's Eve. Eve. Yeah, right. that's a night that you want to go out. You want to take your girl out. Yeah, you want to get the midnight kiss. Right. So he drops down into this apartment. And he's able to obtain all of that employee's civilian clothes. So he he sneaks out of there. And they just so happen to fit him? Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I, I don't know. But it's Bundy. Things seem to go his way. He couldn't, like, they couldn't, like, have a husky guy, like a really husky Real, guy. Like a 400-pounder. Right. Um, so he's now wearing civilian clothes. He has money. And he's, he gets out and what does he do? He buys a plane ticket and he flies to Chicago. Mm -hmm. Now this is going to be this whole adventure here. This is going to be, you know, uh, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles for Mr. Bundy because he ends up in Chicago where in Chicago, he takes a train to Michigan in Michigan. He steals a car. Now I read his account on his car thievery. He was not a great car theft. But he said back in the 70s, you know, a lot of people would just leave their keys in the car, you know, and they, they didn't lock their doors. So yeah, he, different times back then, he would just find a, 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 you know, a regular street with a lot of cars parked on it and just walk up to each one, checking the door handles. If it's unlocked, he would get in, <laughs> right, right. look for a key and he finds an unlocked door to a car and it finds the keys. I don't know if it was underneath the seat or up in the uh, the visor. But he, you know, he drives this car down to Atlanta and then he takes a, a, a bus. He wanted to go to Florida. He had this planned out. 
He wanted to go to Florida. Why? Because think about his victimology. He likes college age, attractive women. That's, that's his victims. That's what he's looking for. He was probably looking for something close to the water, you know, where Mm -hmm. there's, it's no secret. There's good looking ladies by the water and there's plenty of colleges in every state, but there's plenty of colleges in Florida. He doesn't get anything by the water, but he ends up in Tallahassee, Florida. Now he, he moves into a, like a boarding house, right? Uh, on the campus for Florida state university. And he's posing as a grad student because by this time he would have been, eh, he would have been in his thirties in his early thirties by this time. So he's not of the exact college age, but he's posing as a grad student and he's going by the name of Chris Hayden, Chris Hagen. I'm sorry. Is this when he grew out a beard? I, you know, I'm not certain because if you look, if you, if you follow the trail of Ted Bundy and you'll look at him throughout the years, you know, whether he be in Washington, Utah, Colorado, Florida, you know, he's, he's in front of the camera a lot because he's arrested a lot. He escapes a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's on several trials. Um, but he is ever changing his appearance. You know, this was another thing that he did. This is, you know, the, the, the mastermind in quotes, uh, serial killer. He's always changing his appearance. You will see pictures of him where he appears to be a little heavier than other times, you know, and he might wear big bulky sweaters, uh, he has a beard at times. He's clean shaven at other times. Yeah, sometimes he has a mustache. Yeah. He has long hair sometimes. Other times he has very short hair. Um, but he finds himself down in Florida state, uh, in Tallahassee. And he is going to, this is in, uh, early 1978. Uh, this is actually January 14th. He has only been there for about two weeks. Now he gets, he gets to Florida state. And on the night of January 14th, he's going to go out and look for victims. He said, he said many years later that his intention was to go to Florida and assume, uh, an identity and become a regular guy, work a regular job and not commit any more crimes. And he was just going to live a regular life. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that for a second because on the night of January 14th, he goes to, it's like a dance. Hold on. I mean, that could have been his intent. And then he gets down for there a couple and, days. Right. And then you have these urges and then you, you just are what you are. I mean, he, he is just, you know, a devil in man form. You're exactly right. And, he, and on the night of January 14th, he goes to a dance club. It's like a discotheque and he's trying to pick up young college age women at this, at this club. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not the Bundy of old. You know, he can't, he can't do what he once did. They, these women didn't find him charming at all. They said (laughs) they, they, well, I I feel his pain. They said that he, he was extremely creepy. He was, his, his eyes scared a lot of them. His appearance scared a lot of them. He had these, uh, you know, blue eyes, but in, in, in some ways they, they are like, you know, it's a pretty blue color if you watch the interviews, but. Man, as pretty of a blue as it is, it, there's a super creep factor when you mm-hmm. look into them. Well, I've heard some investigators and some detectives and FBI agents say that, you know, I, they say they can spot these type of monsters and they say that the giveaway is in the eyes. Now, mm-hmm. I, I've looked at more pictures of serial killers than most people and nine times, nine times out of ten, I can't see it. 
once in a while I can with Bundy. There's some pictures out there when you, his eyes aren't right. You know what right, I mean? In right. some pictures you, you can just see it. Well, and if you watch a lot of his interviews, especially, um, one of the interviews before his death, uh, he blinks so many times. I mean, it's like he's blinking three, four times more than a normal person would blink. So he's unable to pick anybody up at the, at the disco. None of these women will go with him. Mm -hmm. Thank God. But what happens is he, he has this urge that he has to fill. Remember I said earlier, this guy is addicted to what he's doing. He's addicted to killing. He's addicted to raping women. He's going to end up with a victim that night, or he's going to end up in jail or dead. That's how this guy works. Right. When he doesn't get anybody at the disco, next door is a sorority house. And this is the Chi Omega sorority house. Now, I do got to point out here that I don't believe that he intended, when he left his apartment or his boarding house that day, when he left to go to the disco, I don't think he had any plans of going into the sorority house. He clearly Mm. wanted to pick up somebody at the disco. When that didn't work out to his way, he started scheming. He started planning. Well, and like I said before, I mean, he's not just the opportunist killer. I mean, he he is one like so when he's going to the discotheque, he is trying to create the opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to lure somebody into his trap. When that doesn't work out, now I have to, you know, I'm now I'm going to go not create the opportunity, I'm going to try to find the opportunity. And you heard in the news clip that we played earlier that the killer seemed to have just slipped into an unlocked door into this Chi Omega sorority house. What actually took place was he had gone there at some point late that night and he mm-hmm. found the door unlocked. Now, Ted being being the criminal that he is. Well, I wonder how many houses. I mean, just like when he went to steal cars, you know, you just keep checking and checking. How many houses did he check? That were locked. Well, he went and checked the sorority house and then he decided to wait. He wanted to wait until he thought that most, if not all of the girls inside would be asleep. This would make his, his attack much easier. And well, and like we talked about before the other attacks, he would attack somebody while somebody's sleeping in the next room. So, I mean, he's done this before. Yeah. He's no stranger to this form of attack. He goes around to the back of the sorority house and he finds a, a log um, and he, he goes into the sorority house and I, I don't know how many uh, persons were living, how many young ladies were living in there at the time, right. but he, the short of it is he attacks four of them and he probably raped three or four of them while he was in there, but it was a frenzied attack. He, he went in with that log and he's bashing them over the head while they sleep and he's attacking them basically room by room. In the end, out of the four girls attacked, he ends up killing two of them. He, I believe that mm-hmm. he probably thought that all four were dead before he left the house. When he's when he's leaving. Yeah, I, I want to assume that he would just walk, walk out thinking that, oh, somebody's going to live after this. Now, here's somebody that gets lucky. As he's leaving, there is a young lady that is kind of... She, is let's say hiding in the shadows. Mm -hmm. She sees him leave. She, she's able to make a, a description. She's able to finger this guy, figure out who this guy is because she sees his face as he's leaving and he's leaving the house with the log in hand. He goes down the street. Like I said, I mean, devil in man form. 
And then rather than, so this young lady has, has, she not only witnesses him leaving the house, Mm -hmm. but she sees what took place in the house very quickly after he leaves. So the police. Well, yeah, she sees the carnage, right? Exactly. And she has notified the authorities. So Bundy, rather than fleeing the area, I mean, he's, he's out walking around and can hear sirens Mm -hmm. and another, uh, a a gentleman driving a vehicle, he spots Bundy. He's down the street and he's still holding this log. And I'm sure there's he's covered in blood. Oh yeah, definitely. And what does he do? Instead of fleeing the area, he this is this is how much of a monster he is. Think about this. Mm. You know, I talked about him being addicted to killing. This is like, you know, when you when you have somebody that that is addicted to smack. All right. Let's say you're addicted to smack. Right. And you decide you're gonna go off and you're gonna go live somewhere for six months and get clean. You know, he was addicted to killing and he gets locked up for, for quite a bit of time. He can't kill anybody while he's locked up and whether, whether or not he actually intended to go live a regular life, he, he can't do that. This right. is like the, the guy that gets clean and then goes out and binges one night and does so much, so many drugs that they end up dead. Right. He, he's able to hold off only so long and now he's going to binge He's going to binge that night and he, he attacks four women and just blocks away from the sorority house. He breaks into another home and he, he attacks a woman there. Uh, that, that attack is cut short because I, I don't know why he, th- I don't know if the, if something, uh, prevented him from, from, or if she fended off the attack. killing him all the yeah. killing her all the way, or if he, in this situation as well, thought that she was dead as well. He left there and then he goes to another home and he has the intention of doing this again. Well, he, he's unable to do so because somebody living, this was like one of those doubles, you know? And so there's a a neighbor that's sharing a wall. Well, the neighbor that's sharing the wall starts banging and pounding on, on the wall because they must've heard him break, break into the house. Yeah. Well, he is still not satisfied. So what, what he does is he masturbates on the bed and then he, then he, hold on. I just wasn't ready for all that. Okay. Continue. Okay. Then he leaves and he returns to his apartment. Now, some of his neighbors see him that night and, and the people that live, um, around the area. If you, if you could see pictures of us, everybody lives very, very close. And he had actually spoke to plenty of, plenty of those people in the short time that he was there. Now that night when he returns, these same people are talking to him and they say he is, he's not even like human. He doesn't even seem to be human. Well, that's like, what I said. I mean, I, I, I believe the two sides of him, you know, he's, he's very much, I mean, the, the, the mythical, not, not, not the devil with the horns and all that. And, and you know, like horse legs or whatever. But but the devil, when we talk about like the Antichrist, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about here's this guy that's going to come to power and then and they're going to be so charming and they're going to be a great speaker and all these things. That's like the two sides of him. The one side of him is here's this stand-up guy. He's sweet. He's charming. He, he's a man on a mission. And then the other side of him is pure evil. Yeah. It's very devil-like where, you know, because because he was um, given these talents of being outspoken, being um, a charming individual, it let him do his evil deeds. Mm-hmm. Now, it, 
again, he's in this, like, they say he looks like he's in a trance. And, and as you were saying, you know, this is like the monster rising to the top of the water. You know what I mean? He, he, the monster has come out in him and he can't suppress this monster that night. And even though he's left and he's returned to his apartment, he's still in this frenzy. And they say he's incoherent. He can barely talk. Uh, he doesn't make any sense. Um, well, and I wonder if he would get into some kind of, uh, you know, murderous Zen state, you know, the, mm-hmm. because of the adrenaline, because of the addiction, you know, if this is, if we think that there is some sort of addiction and there's some sort of high he's getting, then what kind of state does that bring him into? Well, it's like what, what OJ said, right? In the, in his book, if I did it, yeah, you know, what does he say that, well, if I would have done it, I would have been in a, in a state that, you know, I wouldn't have known what was going on and I would have felt like I blacked out. And when I come to, then right, I right. see the result of what has happened. Um, you know, almost like you're some murderous zombie or something temporarily or right. the wolf man. Um, he you keep on bringing up like the wolf man <laughs> in uh, Frankenstein. No, he's the devil. I mean, this is by all, I mean, this is evil monster. Well, not too long after this horrible attack at the Chi Omega sorority house, he attacks um, a young girl. She's a 12-year-old girl, and he he takes her from uh, her school. This is much like we saw that he did in Utah. Um, And he ends up getting caught, right? They they chase him down in Pensacola, Florida, and he's apprehended, and now he is – they – they want to question him about this stuff in Florida because it's all very obvious to them right now, right? It's very obvious that we got this horrible dude. We mm-hmm. had no clue who did this killing at Chi Omega, but now we, we've we apprehended Ted Bundy, who's capable, certainly capable of doing these things. Right. And then on top of that, we have the lady that, that saw him leaving that night. She identifies Ted Bundy as the guy that was leaving and the And then we have house. the other three the, that were attacked that are still alive. We, we, I, I don't think they were able to identify him. I think they were attacked so brutally that, uh, possibly or in the dark too. Well, and on top so. of it, I think he hit them when they were sleeping. Yeah. So yeah. they, they may have been, uh, unconscious the entire time, hopefully. Right. But we have the lady leaving. We got the guy driving his car. We have the other lady being attacked in the double yeah. that could have identified him. Well, the other people that identified him were all the girls that he went up to at the discotheque that was right next door to the mm-hmm. sorority house. They the were creepy like creepy old dude. They're like, yes, that's the guy that was at the, so, so they know he just from those girls, they this know he was at least le- next door. And then they, he spotted with the, with the killing weapon, with the log in his hand coming out of the sorority house by the other girl. I mean, I'm glad we're covering this case because being 35, I mean, I, I, I'm clearly too old to go to the discotheque. That's right. You would have, you would strike out every time. So he decides that he is going to uh, represent himself and at his trial for the uh, the deaths of the Chi Omega girls. Yeah, uh, I say girls, but the, you know, ladies, I'm an I'm yeah. an old dude. They're yeah. they're young ladies. Um, now I tell you what. I, I, you tell me what I'm going to tell you what you tell um, me what you, anybody listening, if you have any extra time today or later this week, Google and find some clips of Ted Bundy representing himself at trial. Yeah. It, and I tell you what, I don't want to 
try to make humor out of such a, a tragedy and such a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. However, there are some, what I find to be humorous parts of that trial because they're humorous. Yeah. He, he's sitting there at the table that I'll give you one story, right? Okay. He's sitting at the table and, um, there's an officer that is being, um, he's up on the stand and he's giving his testimony. And now Bundy's going to have the opportunity to cross examine the witness. Yeah. I mean, like, look, just the fact that we know hindsight, right? That he's one of the most notorious serial killers of all time. Uh, he was on his defense before now he's escaping, you know, he, uh, escaped from jail twice. Now he created these other murders. Now he's not on the defense team. He is the defense. Yes. And he, he has people counsel that he's working with. And you can see this on some of these clips, but in this clip in particular, he's like, he's like leaning back in his chair and he's talking to, I guess the the people assisting in his defense. And he's got one of those long yellow legal pads and he's like kind of making some notes on it, but he's supposed to already be standing up and cross examining the witness. So the judge has to remind him, you know, but this must've taken place (laughs) multiple times that that he's just not ready because the, the judge doesn't even explain to him. You need to be ready. The judge just simply calls out Bundy. Right. Because Look, he went to law school, but he didn't finish. Right. And and so, yeah, you can defend yourself, but they're going to treat you like you should know what the heck to do. And clearly, he doesn't know what to do, and he thinks he is so smart that he can outsmart the system. So he's parading around as if he watched a bunch of Matlock series. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's walking around like, one, his shit don't stink, and I, I was born to do this. Yeah. And he has this very odd thing where he is disassociating himself with the murderer. So he's Bundy, the lawyer in his brain, and he's defending Bundy, the killer, which he clearly doesn't think he's the killer. No. And the judge, the judge just calls out Bundy and then Ted Bundy gets up and it's, he's going to cross examine this officer. That's just, you know, told his whole story. Right. And so he asked the officer, he says, you know, officer, when was the first time that you spoke with Theodore Robert Bundy? And the officer <laughs> says, well, I spoke to you on right. this date. And he right. says, was that at this location? And the officer says, yes, it was at this location. And he says, what time did you speak to Th- Theodore Robert Bundy? And again, the officer who's getting pissed off because right. of the, the arrogance of this guy. Yeah. And the odd oddness of this, of this. Yeah. This crazy situation. He says, I spoke to you. I spoke to you on this day at this location. I don't remember what time it was. Right, I spoke and, to you, not this guy that you keep asking. And Ted me Bundy about. goes, "Well, then, uh, how how do we know what you're saying is true if you do, if you cannot recall the time that you cannot? You, you, there's no record of this uh, conversation with Mr. Theodore Robert Bundy." And the officer, getting a little heated, says, "Again, I know I spoke to you at this location." Yeah. And then Ted goes. No further questions, Your Honor. And then he goes and sits down. My favorite story of the, or my favorite thing that I noticed when I was watching the the, the footage is he, at one point, he's making some statement, and I, I maybe he's talking to a cop, or I, I can't remember who he's, he's, he's talking to somebody on the stand. And you can tell that he's just really enjoying himself. And he thinks he's winning. 
you can like the, the as the trial goes on and on he has swagger about him in the courtroom yeah but it's like as it goes on and on the swagger becomes more and more like i got this shit right so then he's talking to some witness and he goes over to the jury he, you know how lawyers do like i'm going to go approach the jury and and then get them on my side and he approaches them and he kind of leans towards them and, and and the defense at this point uh, or the prosecution at this point actually thinks we don't know what the read on the jury is mm-hmm. that they, they thought this guy is very charming and very intelligent, at least in the courtroom. And maybe the jury's buying this stuff. Well, when he leaned towards the jury, all the jury members leaned away from him. And I think you even hear one of them kind of gasp. Like, right. oh, we didn't realize we we're going to get that close to him. Right, right. Yeah, we understand that. He's the lawyer, but he's the killer. So I think they knew at that moment, no, the jury is afraid of him. And and probably based off that fear, he'd be found guilty. Yeah, and you're exactly right. The, the, you you do not have a good defense if the jury itself is afraid of you. You know, yeah. um, And it didn't take long to convict him. Uh, the trial might have been longer than it needed to be. But on July 24th, 1979, they deliberated, the jury deliberated for less than seven hours before convicting him of two murders in the Chi Omega attack and including uh, three counts of attempted first degree murder for the other victims as well. Um, this the, at the at the trial, the judge, uh, he does impose death sentences for the murder convictions. Mm-hmm. And this is happening in Florida, so. Uh, they don't dilly dally around. They're not well, going to wait 30 years to try to kill you. Yeah. And you know what? There is a strange situation regarding the Bundy case itself. Um, there, I read this, um, it, and I, I think it might just be a rumor, so I'm not going to say where I read it. Uh, mm-hmm. but there's a statement that, that when Bundy was working with his counsel, in the state of Colorado when he was going through that trial before he escaped the second time and made it all the way to Florida, that during the course of working with his counsel, he had asked the attorney, you know, what state are they most likely to put you to death for murder? And the attorney had told him probably Georgia. No, no, wait, Florida, Florida seems, you know, they seem to execute people faster there. Um, and you know, nowadays we know it is Texas, um, you know, that executes people the fastest, but back then it may have been Florida. And, uh, you know, if, if that is true that he asked the attorney that, and then he, then he went to Florida, do you mm-hmm. think he, do you think he had a death wish? Do you think he had a, some kind of, you know, th- there's something to that. Yeah. I wonder if, like I said, I mean, there's kind of two sides of him and maybe on some level, you know, he realized, look, I'm, I'm not, I can't stop. Well, I, there was another serial killer, um, and he's been put to death since this, but, uh, I heard him say in an interview that he was trying to speed up the course of the death sentence. He wanted to be executed as fast as possible. And his explanation for this was, I kill people. That's Mm -hmm. what I, I absolutely love and enjoy killing people. And mm-hmm. if I ever get out, I'm going to kill a whole bunch of people. And he doesn't even think it's wrong. In his opinion, killing people was not wrong, the serial killer. Right. And he says, but I'm locked up and I'm in prison and I can't kill anybody in here. So I don't want to be on this planet any longer. Right. And 
you know what this particular killer did was he act, he actually killed somebody while he was in prison because they wouldn't speed up his his right. death sentence. Well then yeah, let's I'm going to make uh I'm going to make myself a real big problem in here and start killing people in prison. Well, and, and, and then you're going to have that on your head and you're going to have to get rid of me. You're, you're exactly right. That's exactly what happened because the court system come out and they said, well, you have to go to trial for this other death now. And right. he comes back to the prison, the, the prison administrators and the court system. And he says, guess what? I'm going to, you know, if you're going to delay my death sentence, I'm going to keep killing people in prison every chance I get until then. And all those deaths will be on your head. So I don't know if the, if the thing with Bundy is absolutely true or not, but uh, I did find it interesting that he asked about what state would kill him or kill someone the fastest. Yeah, I wonder where, where he's going through. And and once he gets to jail, we're going to see him really start opening up. Uh, and what his what is his motivation to, for talking about these other killings? Uh, I'm not really for sure. Maybe to to stay off the death penalty for a while. I'm I'm not really for sure. I can't get into I can't get inside the devil's brain but there's so much more to talk about with Bundy and then his involvement in another case and that's something I think we should get to tomorrow so how about a recommended reading yeah you know sometimes when we do these double episodes for a case I don't always have two books to present um, but there's so many Bundy because you don't like doing your job (laughs) that's right slack it off (laughs) Uh, but he doesn't like you. He doesn't want you to read and get smart, people. There's a lot of Ted Bundy books out there, and uh, there's a lot of good ones. And mm-hmm. this one is one that came out relatively recently. This is called "I Survived Ted Bundy" by Rhonda Stapley. Now, who is Rhonda Stapley? Well, she was a good, innocent Mormon girl, and of course, Ted Bundy is one of the most notorious serial killers of American history. Well, their paths crossed one quiet autumn afternoon and and you'd hear her in our first trailer yeah the first episode of ted bundy she's the one that got in the vehicle she she missed the bus and she was waiting for the next bus Mm -hmm. and decided to hitchhike with the and she got into the wrong car now this is a situation too where he thought he had successfully killed her um i recommend picking this book up it's called i survived ted bundy by Rhonda stapley Uh, another interesting thing with this book too is Anne rule did the foreword well, who is Anne Rule? Well, she is the woman. She's very famous. She's, uh, God rest her soul, she was one of the best true crime authors of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, she passed away, I believe, two years ago. Um, but she, as said, one of the best true crime authors of all time. She happened to work with Ted Bundy at the crisis hotline. Yeah, she's the lady that uh, called in the tip about him. Exactly. So she wrote the foreword for this book, and I believe that she had a hand in getting it published as well. So pick up I Survived Ted Bundy by Rhonda Stapley. You can do that by going to truecrimegarage.com and click click on the recommended page. You'll see our books that we've recommended on there. Mm-hmm. You click on the Amazon banner. You buy the book. You buy some things for Christmas. It helps out our show. Yeah, because you can buy anything through that banner. I just bought a really nice, fancy coffee mug. Uh, it says, uh, coffee makes me poop. Um, you know, you can pick up anything on Amazon. That's my goal every week is to try to find something very odd uh, to buy through Amazon. And it gives a little love back to Nick and the Captain. That cool parlor guitar that you were showing me, is that is that That's something Amazon. I can pick up yeah. on Amazon? Yeah, I, I bought a little acoustic guitar. I'll, I'll sing a little song on Instagram someday. Okay. Uh, Anyways, for everything 
for anything or everything True Crime Garage. Check out truecrimegarage.com and get in social media, Snapchat, Instagram, now with Untapped if you want to follow Nick's beer journey. And All it, that is at True Crime Garage. And I should point out, you know, you say now I'm on Untapped. Uh, I've actually been on there for a long time under a different name. I'm just under True Crime Garage now. So I'm easy to find if you want to try to send me a friend request, uh, even if it's Veronica who thinks I'm just okay. Uh, that that might be acceptable. Um, but so when you get on there, don't assume that I just signed up like a week ago and, and I've consumed 1600 beers in the course of that time. I've been on there for a while. So he drinks uh, a lot of beer. <laughs> oh, true crime and beer. That's what we do. The one thing I wanted to mention too, truecrimegarage.com. You know, my favorite part of our website is the blog. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like when, when listeners get on there and they post things and we, we read them and we respond. But my favorite is when a listener will post something and some of these some of our listeners have really good theories and really good insight on some of these cases and they bring up good questions. But my favorite is when other listeners respond to those posts. Right. Right. Uh, Responding to the listeners. Yeah. Cause I get to get on there just like a regular fan and, and read what everybody's posting and yeah, I mean, we don't claim crime fix that day. Yeah. We're not experts. You know, we're just within these four walls. We are, well, we're experts (laughs) of the garage and, but that's about it. And, And it's really about this community you know, we call it the true crime army. And, uh, you know, maybe we're not your favorite show, but we're your second favorite show, right? But it's a big community. And by bringing attention to these cases and being fans of this genre, uh, we are starting to make a difference in in the actual world. Mm-hmm. Anyways, thanks for the support in season three. I hope you're enjoying this multiple part on Ted Bundy. Happy season three finale. Oh, this yeah. is part two. We're gearing up Guess for season what? four. Part three tomorrow. Tomorrow coming at you live. Well, it won't be live, but. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.